Good evening. Here we go. Matthew 5, verse 16. You know it well. You know it well. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Christopher, suddenly as I turned that on, the battery went from three dots to two. Is that going to be okay? All right. Notice in Matthew 5, 16, three important ideals. First, impact. Impact. Light impacts the darkness. That's what God expects of us. Light impacts the darkness. My good friend Kevin Kimbrew from Meridianville Congregation gave me a powerful little flashlight a while back to use at Bible camp, but I use it behind my house more and more because of the varmints, foxes and coyotes and other things, armadillos that are out there. But it impacts the darkness, and we are expected to do that. And then the second idea here is good works. Good works. We cannot impact the darkness without good works. And the end of all of this, the third ideal here is, the end of all of this, the, the ideal, the goal is that other people like us will make it their aim in life to bring glory to the Heavenly Father. Impact, good works, glorifying God. What a powerful verse this is. We want to take a little time this evening and bring to ourselves some tidbits, some pieces of advice that will help us do this in a greater way. Okay. Letting our light so shine, so shine before men. These are Bible-based, and you could bring out some that I might not mention. But first of all, we've got to be properly motivated in order to so shine our lights. We've got to be properly motivated. Let's start with a general motivation and then a specific one. Generally, looking at Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 in a general way, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1, it says, a good name is better than precious ointment. What precious ointment did you grow up with? Ours was sotus. Sotus. The comparison there would be Vicks vapor rub, but ours was sotus. We use sotus for everything, headache, sore throat, Stuffy nose, sore muscles, okay, general bad feeling, bad mood, put on sodas, okay. But a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the, the, day, the day of one's birth. How can that be? The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. How is that to be? Well, it goes back to that old ideal that you are to leave a place better than how you found it. I don't know about you, but that was, I didn't know Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 until much later in life. But deep down, my parents taught me the principle there that you leave things better off than how you found them. Okay. Whether that was Little League or whether that was just any kind of gathering then you didn't leave a place worse. You left it better off than what you found it. I remember my dad, he would coach us in Little League uh, Baseball, and we would come to our dugout on our side of the field, 
And if it was messy, if there were cups there, if there was debris there, if there was paper there, first of all, he'd have us clean it all up. And then when we left, it was completely clean as well. And that's what this means here in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1, is when we come into life, we are to leave things around us in a better position, in a better way than how we found them, spiritually speaking especially. What about that? What about our families? What about our families? Because of our presence, are our families more spiritually minded? Do they know more about Christ? What about our neighborhoods? What about our co-workers? What about our, our friends and, and associations here and there? Because of our presence, are they more spiritually minded than they were before they met us? Are they, do they know more about Christ? What about our church family? We are to leave things better off than how we found them. That's our general motivation, but specifically we go back for a specific motivation. We go back to this morning's ideas. Notice Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul's own consciousness of his sin, first of all, caused him to understand and appreciate God's grace, but it also, notice this, it also moved him to labor more intensely for others in the gospel. Okay. For example, in Ephesians 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul refers to himself as less than the least of all the saints. And that's just how he felt about it because of all that he had done against Christ. But he said, now, I, who am less than the least of all the saints, was this grace given to me to preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So as Paul thought about his past and how God had so graced him with forgiveness, that moved him to want to go and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to everyone, especially uh, to the Gentiles. We find this same attitude of Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 9 and 10, where he says, it's not really proper to call me an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me wasn't bestowed upon me in vain, but I labor more abundantly than anybody. Okay. Now Paul was not comparing himself to other people. It's not what he's doing here. He is saying, he is saying, he's being very personal. He's saying because of how intently and how deeply personal he felt that he had been against Christ and how deeply appreciative he is of the grace that he had received, then he ought to be laboring more than anybody because he felt such a debt to the Lord for his goodness. And so that's the proper motivation right there, looking at the forgiveness of God, looking at the goodness of God. You know, Romans 2 verse 4 says that the goodness of, God, goodness of God leads to repentance. Well, the goodness of God ought to lead us to repent, ought to lead us to do more and more uh, good works. We certainly see this illustrated in Luke 7 when Jesus visits the home of Simon the Pharisee and, and Jesus looked to Simon. You know, the sinful woman had come in and Jesus looked to Simon and he said, Simon, this woman has washed my feet, 
but you didn't provide any water for me. Simon, this woman continues to kiss me, and you didn't give me a customary greeting at all. Simon, this woman has anointed me, and you did not give me the anointing. And then he says, Simon, here's the reason. This woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven. And to whom little is forgiven, Luke 7, 47, to whom little is forgiven, then the same one will love little. Okay. You see the motivation there? This woman was doing all she could for Jesus because she intensely understood and felt the forgiveness that Jesus was bringing to her lives, to her life. Whereas Simon didn't really see that he was much of a sinner at all. So therefore, he had not bothered to do anything for Jesus. Now, Simon probably had committed less sins in his life than this woman, but yet this woman is in the proper relationship with God because she understands the nature of forgiveness and allowing that to move one to labor and to serve the Lord. And so, first of all, if we're going to let our light shine better, then we've got to be properly motivated. And then secondly, I know this is difficult, but we've got to use the Bible. Not just use the Bible, but use the examples in the Bible. And not just any example, but Paul's example. Look in your, back in our text toward this morning in 1 Timothy 1 and verse uh, 16. Notice, notice what uh, Paul says here. And this is this is quite stunning, and it really uh, drives a mark here in uh, Paul's conversations with Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, verse uh, 16. Paul said, For this reason I receive mercy. Now what is this, Paul? 1 Timothy 1, 16. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, in other words, in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might show forth, or Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul's saying God Almighty is going to use my example of coming to Christ to hopefully persuade others of Paul's same background to come to Jesus and enjoy eternal life as well. We ought to use the Bible. We ought to especially use the examples in the Bible and especially the example of, of Paul. The word display here or show forth means just that. It means to put on display, to put under a glass and to really uh, display it uh, to the world. Well, in the providence of God, the example of Paul's conversion is meant uh, to be that. Some of you might remember an NFL player, goes back a few years, uh, William Perry. They called him Refrigerator Perry. Uh, I think drafted way back in the 1980s. Played for the Chicago Bears. Okay. And he had a Super Bowl ring. and He's known he was way over 300 pounds, about 6'4", 6'3", 6'4". Played defensive tackle. Also known for uh, having a few touchdowns on the offensive, offensive side uh, of the line. Just a huge human being. But his Super Bowl ring is known to be, I believe, 
the largest Super Bowl ring ever made. Okay. The size for his ring is a 25. A 25. The average size for an adult male is 10 to 12. His is 25. I heard someone at our workshop last week mention how that his ring is on display somewhere. They had seen it either at an airport or some museum, and they said it looks like a bracelet. It looks, for the regular person, it looks like a bracelet, but it's on display. display and, you, and if you were to see it, you, you'd have to stop and look at it because it just, it just sticks out to you. Okay. And that's what God wants done with Paul's example of conversion. Okay. It is meant to be used. It is meant uh, for our progress in the gospel. It is meant for us to use as we seek to share uh, the word and to let our light shine even brighter. brighter. So God would have us to get to know. If you want, you want to know a way of sharing God, the gospel of Jesus is to know Paul's conversion in and out. You know, Read the chapters of, of Acts, Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26, and then read Paul's epistles like 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 here where he uh, stresses his conversion to Christ. Get to know it frontward and backward and go to the world with it. If you meet somebody who's, who's kind of uh, teetering and tottering about, about his belief, or if you meet someone who's just an outright agnostic toward uh, the truth, Paul's example is it. Paul's example is it. There's no one who's ever been so antagonistic against, against Jesus as Paul was. And yet, something changed him. Something changed him. What was it that changed him? Okay. I suggest to you that Paul's example is one of the greatest evidences for Christianity being true as anything that exists in the world today. Why was it that he changed? Was it because he was going to get wealthier? Was it because his health was going to improve? We know that's not true. Neither one of those are true. Was it because, did he come to Jesus because he had become more popular with the world? Did he come to Jesus because he would be more powerful in the world? None of the usual motivations that causes a person to change in life were evident. Was his family? No, he had to forsake his family. It wasn't anything like that. It was the fact that there was clear evidence. Okay? Jesus Christ really did appear to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was actually inspired by the Holy Spirit to do his writings. Paul actually did these works that we read about in our New Testaments. So if we want to let our light shine brighter, we've got to use the Bible. And then thirdly, we've got to make sure that Jesus is living in us. At least that's what Galatians 2.20 says, right? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the, and the life that I now uh, live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up uh, for me. We've got to make sure Jesus is living in us. You see, not only can Paul... Paul's example be used by God, but God can use our example as well. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, uh, Be thou an example of, of the believers in various areas of life. Those qualities we mentioned this morning, of how that Jesus was full of grace, are those qualities found in us. 
course, Jesus possesses these qualities in a perfect way, but he expects us to, to possess these qualities as well. Those qualities we mentioned this morning, of how that grace has its ingredients of love and, and mercy and kindness and goodness and patience and forgiveness, are those qualities found in us? For example, what about love? What does love mean? Love means, according to, to God, Love means to want the very best for someone else. Okay. Love means to want the eternal best. That's it. Love means, agape love means to want the eternal best for another person. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, Love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Right? I'm just guessing, but I think that Someone you love, you would like for them to have a less glorious job and go to heaven than to have a more glorious job on earth that takes them away from spiritual matters and they miss heaven. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing that, that someone you love on earth, you, you'd rather them go through some difficulties in this life and enjoy heaven than to have a completely comfortable comfortable and convenient life now and miss heaven. And so, is that sort of love found in us? And what about mercy? Mercy means to climb into the skin of another person and seek to understand. That's what Jesus did, literally. That's what Jesus did, right? He came to this earth, he took on flesh, and uh, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, he, he became one of us, he completely, completely understands He's merciful to us and we're to be merciful. Luke 6, 36 says, Be merciful even as your heavenly Father has been merciful uh, to you. We are to seek to understand others and their struggles so that we can uh, take this glorious gospel and, and help them uh, to see it, how it applies to their, to their lives. I'm thinking that when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 that that to the Jew he became as a Jew, and to the Greeks he became as a Greek, and, and that he became all things to all men, that by all means he may save some. I'm thinking what he's saying there is that he was merciful. He, he sought to climb into their skin. He, he sought to see where they were at, to try to understand where they were at in their relationship with God so that he could help them uh, with the gospel. You see, is Jesus living in us? We've got to make sure Jesus, if our, if our light is going to shine brighter, we've got to make sure. We've got to make sure we're not just associated with Jesus, but is He living in us and is it clear to other people? Especially forgiveness. There's a special power in forgiving each other. Especially forgiveness. We labored a little bit to show how Jesus was so willing to forgive this morning, forgive us as sinners. But that same sort of attribute is to be found in us as well. In fact, Jesus, as he teaches us to pray, Matthew 6, verses uh, 9 through 15, didn't he say that as we pray, we ought to pray that... Um, pray that we forgive the debts of others against us if we don't forgive the sins that others have committed against us, then neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter uh, 11. Mark chapter 11. 
And notice this, verse uh, 25. Turn with me and let's, let's uh, mark this verse together. Mark chapter 11. Listen to these words from our Lord. Mark 11, 25. 25. Notice this really carefully. And whenever you stand praying, notice that, Brother Ken. We were talking about the importance of standing this morning in class, in our Bible class, how that shows reverence. Notice that. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have, notice these words. This is from the English Standard Version. If you have anything against anyone, so that your, your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So when you stand and you're praying, if anyone, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Why? Well, we've been forgiven in order to forgive others. Forgive. Command from God. Command from our Lord. Forgive. It's easier, easier with some than it is with others for sure. But if we want God's forgiveness, then we will seriously embrace this command from Jesus. There's, there's some power behind this. Back in 2005, 2006, whenever it was that Mary Winkler shot her husband, Matthew Winkler, just in cold blood. One of my good friends is Matthew's dad, Dan Winkler. I was speaking with Dan just the other day. He's 70 years old now. Got a white hair and white beard. But I was talking to him about this very incident. I remember I went to the funeral over in West Tennessee. I went there. The media was there. Dan got up. First thing he said at the funeral was, we love our family. We love Matthew who had just perished. And then he said, and we love Mary and we forgive Mary. And that took on, as we say, a viral notice. And there were many who started calling the churches of Christ after that because there is power in forgiveness. If someone can forgive, then others are going to want to know how do you come to that because by and large, most people are walking around with a great deal of bitterness down deep in their heart and they don't know how to get rid of it. But Jesus is the way. So we've got to make sure that Jesus is living in us. And then if we want our light to shine brighter and brighter. We've got to be able to do what we can with what we have. You remember Jesus' story, Matthew 25, 14, and following about the talents, and five talent, two talent, one talent. These talents were pieces of money, and they were given to these individuals according to their abilities. And there was a day of reckoning, and the one with five talents had gained five more talents, and it was pronounced, well done, good and faithful servant. The two talent one had gained two more talents and it was pronounced to him well done but the one talent man had gone and hid his because he was afraid. And one of the big lessons here is don't compare. Don't compare. 
was the two-talent man expected to produce as much as the five-talent one? No. No. One of the big lessons here is don't compare. Do what you can with what you have. Worry about what you can do and not what others may or may not be doing. Do you recall as Jesus is on the earth, but now he's, he's been resurrected and he's having this conversation with Peter in John 21, and they had talked about how that Peter is, Peter is to feed uh, the lambs and feed the sheep, and then Jesus explains to Peter that he would one day he would uh, experience some captivity and probably die a very violent death. And then after he said that to Peter, Peter looked to John and said to Jesus, what about him? What about him? And Jesus looked back to Peter and said, what is that to you? He said, Jesus didn't want this comparing business going on. He said, you do what you can do. And that's the same instruction to us uh, today. If we would be more concerned, if we would spend our time and effort with what we can do, not what somebody else might be able to do, or what somebody else may be doing or not doing, then our light would shine brighter and brighter. When I think about this, I think about a, a couple that embraced Kelly and I when we were really young. Their name was Schumachers. The wife's name was Dorothy. The husband's name, I hope, is Bill. I think it was Bill. Bill and Dorothy Schumacher. They lived in, in a place called Eclectic, Alabama. I was preaching when I was in school. I was preaching for a little small country church out that way. And on Sundays, they would just take us into their house in order for us not to have to drive back to Montgomery. And they did more than that. They looked after us in our younger years. And you say, well... Dorothy and, and Bill Schumacher in a little place like that, they've not done much for the Lord, have you? Well, you don't know, but until you get into their home. But they were retired. He was in the military, and he had been stationed in Germany. And they would tell stories and stories and stories and stories about the church in Germany and the brethren in Germany and how they were able to to have such good Bible studies and such good fellowship with the soldiers that would come through. And they wouldn't stay long. But it, was a, it seemed like to me when you listened to them, it was a tremendous uh, blessing. What were they doing? They did what they could with what uh, they had. And the next small piece of advice is to keep moving forward. Paul mentions this in Philippians 3 and 13, as you know. In Philippians 3 and 13, Paul says, forgetting those things which lie behind and stretching forward. The English Standard Version says, straining forward to those things which lie ahead. Now, Paul had quite a few things in his past. He had his sins, as we've talked about today. He also had his stardom. You know, he, he could have been a star in the Jewish religion. In fact, he was a star. He he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he was a ringleader of those Pharisees, the Jewish uh, religion. He could, have, he could have had all sorts of wealth and power and prestige 
if he had stayed in the Jewish religion, and he had quite a bit of success at this time too because he'd been uh, working for and serving Jesus Christ, but he, he didn't dwell on those things. He, he forgot about those things. And we can do the same thing. If, if God has forgiven us of our sins, then we can move forward and we ought to move forward. Straining forward, stretching forward, as if you're about to come over the finish line and you want your body part to be ahead of the other bodies. Straining forward. I heard someone mention this fellow who did a TED Talk. Okay. And his name is Sam. And Sam has a very rare disease called, I don't know if I pronounce it right or not, progeria. It's a progressive genetic disorder that causes a child to age rapidly. Here he is. Here's a picture of Sam. Most who have this uh, rare disease, they die at age uh, 13 or 14. Sam was able to live to age 17. He passed away just a while back. But he, before he passed on, he did a TED Talk, and, and he answered the question, well, how did he get through the difficult days, you know, the, the days of, of not looking like everybody else at school, the, the days of his strength uh, declining. His, one of his loves in life is music, and he, he so wanted to be in the marching band, but he was not physically able to hold the instruments uh, and march at the same time. But in his TED Talk, if you look it up, you'll see that one of his keys to life was that he kept looking forward to things. He had three great loves. He had comic books and music and sports. And he would look forward to the next comic book that he would be able to get. He would look forward to the music that would be produced by his favorite uh, entertainers. And he would look forward to to the game seed, the football was his special love. He would, he would look forward. He would look forward. And that can help us as well, you know, to shine our light brighter, to keep looking forward. When we're working with someone and we're serving someone and we're, we're trying to help them and somehow they're just not responding, well, you know, we can keep looking forward because there's going to be somebody else to help. Remember Jesus said, Matthew 7, that uh, wide is the gate and broad is the way that most people are taking. So there's always going to be some, someone else. If we fail with someone, with one person, we can always look forward that there's another person out here. And if we keep sowing the seed, God promises that he's going to bring some success somewhere. We can look forward. There in Philippians 3, there's a special looking forward to heaven. Paul in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection will bring a new body. And Paul was looking forward to that new body. Because instead of getting wealth and health when he came to Christ, Paul got a lot of marks on his body, right? Galatians 6, 17, he bore the marks of Jesus on his physical body. 
because of all the shipwrecks, because of all the beatings and the stripes he got by being whipped, he had a lot of marks on his body. He was looking forward to that new body, that new body. He talked about that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. He says, well, we know that, this, that if this earthly tabernacle uh, be dissolved, talking about his body, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, that new body. One of our speakers this past week at our little workshop was Don Blackwell. He's been here before, you know. Don, Don was telling the other day, he may have told this here, but when he first had his accident and then got in his wheelchair and he, he was able to actually drive himself to work. And he got, he came back from lunch one day in a hot afternoon, summer afternoon, and he drove up and hardly anybody else around, but he was going to go ahead and get out of his truck and something failed of the, of the machinery that helps him get out of his truck and get into his chair, something malfunctioned and it caused him to fall right out of the truck, out onto uh, the cement. And he laid there in that hot sun for uh, well over an hour before somebody came and was able to help him up. Well, he was saying he's looking forward to a new body, a new body. You see, we can shine our light greater and brighter because we can keep on looking forward, whether it is to help somebody else who needs the gospel or whether it is we can set our mind on the eternal good that God has in store for us. And then finally, we can be brave. We can be brave. So these are just a few little ideals, Bible-based, that can help us shine our light brighter. We can be properly uh, motivated. Uh, we can use Bible uh, examples. Okay. We can make sure that Jesus is living in us. We can do what we can with what we have. We can keep moving forward, and we've got to be brave. We've got to be brave. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Think about all those guys listed in, in Hebrews 11, all those great men of faith, women of faith. Did any of them have an easy life? Moses there in Hebrews 11, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to... He chose to be on the side of, of the reproaches of Christ, suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy all the pleasures of sin for a season, and then to enjoy all those treasures of Egypt. He, he made that hard choice. It's not supposed to be easy. Abraham, by faith, left his home. Noah, by faith, he prepared an ark when nobody else around, nobody else of all the thousands and thousands of people, nobody else is bothering to prepare an ark, but Noah did. He feared God and he prepared that ark. It's not supposed to be easy. Let's, let's keep that in mind as we seek to shine our light brighter for our Lord. And this evening, it, it might be that you've never, you've never started. It, it might be that you've never, you've never lit your light in the first place. So well, we need to come home to God. Only He has the salvation that, that we need. Only He can wash our sins away. Only He can uh, put our feet on that path uh, to heaven. 
And then we can begin to shine our light brighter and brighter. Do you need to come home uh, to God? Remember, uh, as we grow in our faith uh, toward God, toward Christ, the Lord says in, in Luke uh, 13, 3-5, that we need to repent or we'll perish. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father who is in heaven. We've got to repent. We've got to be willing to confess uh, Jesus as our Lord. And we've got to be ready to be immersed for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord says in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized uh, shall be saved. Do you need to come home to the Lord this evening? Come right now as we stand and as we sing this good song.